The Lord, He is God, and there is no other. Amen? Amen. Why don't you take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 1, verses 19 through 34. You uh, need a Bible, there's a pew Bible, you can turn to page 610. John 1, 19 through 34, page 610. Let us stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. John 1, 19 through 34. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing, if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we are in awe of uh, John's obedience, of his faithfulness, of his witness to who you really are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open, the eyes of our mind would see, the ears of our heart would listen, and your Holy Spirit would drive home and exalt the person and the work of Jesus Christ, that we would see him as the Lamb of God, we would behold his glory, and we would be changed by it into the likeness of the one we see. I pray, Lord, that uh, we would be bolder witnesses in this coming year for having been here, for having heard your word taught. We pray these things in the lovely, beautiful name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus, more to say. 
Come thou long expected Jesus. That's one of my favorite Christmas songs of all time. I love that video for the simple fact that it tells the story of God's Word. If you, if you recognize some of the paintings of the artists in there, it begins all the way at creation. And you may recognize different stories of the Bible. and It's, it's all in anticipation. It's all leading us to the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. What a great video. What a great song. And here we are. It's two days before Christmas. How many can't wait? Right? Till Christmas Day. Two days from now. And I'm no mind reader here this morning, but my guess is probably two things are, are true about most of you here today. And that is one, you're probably a little distracted. Whether you're a kid uh, that's thinking about Christmas Day and some of the presents you may open, or whether you're an adult and you're thinking about the 95 things you still have to get done before Christmas morning, in this service just adds to that list. Some are free to be thinking about the last-minute items you need to buy at the grocery store. Others are maybe thinking about finishing your shopping and the last-minute presents you need to wrap. And while others are, well, you're just thinking about what football game you're going to watch on TV. And so that's the first thing that's maybe true about you this morning. You're a little distracted. And the second thing that may be true about you is you're a little tired. I mean, because there's only one word that can describe what we try to do in the first three weeks of December, and that word is, well, it's madness, right? Let's be honest. Think about it. We, we cram 80% of all the parties that we go to in the whole year into a span of three weeks. We redecorate our houses inside and out and then back again. We bake enough cookies to feed a family of 13. We consume three times the number of calories than normal. We make a list of everybody we've ever met in life and then send them a Christmas card. And if we're really ambitious, we'll write a little Christmas letter to put in it. And to top it all off, the kids are now out of school. How many kids are excited you're out of school? Not too many. I'm all for let's send them back then. All right, shorter Christmas break. So it's no wonder that perhaps most of us here this morning were a little distracted, we're a little tired, and so what I want to do is begin by asking you all just to kind of take a deep breath. In fact, you might even say, God, slow me down. Slow me down long enough in these next few moments to hear from you. And the reason why is because in these next few minutes, it may be the only time when you slow down long enough to really think about and contemplate and consider the reason we celebrate Christmas. And so I want to invite you to seize the moment that we have right now by focusing on the Christ of Christmas, to, to kind of gaze in wonder at the baby in the manger and simply behold His glory. What glory are we beholding this morning as we think about Jesus and His birth? We've been in our series in the book of John, and we've seen Him. He's the Logos, the Word. We saw that He was the light. Last Sunday, we saw that He's the Lord. But today, our focus in beholding His glory, notice this coming up on the screen, is that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And He's not just any Lamb. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
John the Baptist tells us in John chapter 1, verse 29, you may have caught it in the text that Pastor Chris read for us, he tells us to behold or to look. That's what the word behold means, to look upon, to gaze upon, to to examine, which means we must slow down long enough to see with our eyes and to focus with our heart on Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, why does John say this? Why does he say, behold? Because the baby born in Bethlehem, Listen, it's not just an ordinary baby. It is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so John knows this more than anything else in the world is what we need to see, is what we need to focus on and behold in our lives. In fact, later on in the same chapter, John says the very same thing in verses 35 and 36 where he's, it says, again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold... The Lamb of God. Now, I'll be the first to admit, because some of you right now are probably already thinking it, this title that John gives to Jesus, the Lamb of God title, it doesn't really mean a whole lot to us in our culture, in our setting today. Lamb of God. What's the big deal about that? And to be quite honest with you, that's the challenge for us here this morning. Lamb of God. No big deal. What does that even mean? I have no context in which to visualize that. I have no context in which to, to add meaning to that to my life. A lamb. We're not familiar with lambs. We know about lambs. We know a little bit about them. But that's the challenge. And my challenge this morning is to try to help you to understand that this title, Lamb of God, has significance for you. It has relevance for you. In fact, it can radically change your life if you will open up your heart and your mind to this idea, this truth, that Jesus is the Lamb of God, as John tells us. Now, if you were a Jewish person, back in the day, back in the day of John the Baptist, Oh, let me tell you, this title, Lamb of God, had great significance in your life, great relevance in your life. In fact, this title was very significant. This title grabbed your attention. When moment John yelled out, Behold the Lamb of God, you perked up. You were interested. You were paying attention. You knew what he meant by this. After all, for centuries, for years... The Jewish people had lived with the idea of a lamb being sacrificed for their sins. This was part of their culture. It's part of their history. In fact, John the Baptist, he was a son of a priest. And so he, he knew firsthand what priests did with lambs. Every morning and every evening, the priest sacrificed a lamb. Why? As a sin offering for the Jewish people. John also knew every year lambs were sacrificed at Passover. Passover is simply a Jewish holiday celebrating the deliverance of God's people out of bondage in Egypt. And of course, we know the person who led them, and that was Moses. And it's a, Passover is a celebration of that deliverance. But in addition to that, Passover is also a remembrance through the blood 
the lamb shed blood of God passing over their house and sparing the firstborn son. Do you remember the story? If you've seen the Ten Commandments, you do. You, you had to sacrifice the lamb. You had to, in faith, take that blood and sprinkle it on the doorpost. And God's death angel, when he saw the blood on the doorpost, passed over the house and spared the life of the firstborn son. That's why it's called Passover. John knew the Jewish people here. They had this in their mind. They had this in their background. In fact, Passover is still celebrated today among devout Jewish people. And so the Jewish people knew all about the significance and the relevance of a lamb. And so when John the Baptist sees Jesus for the very first time and he calls him the Lamb of God, listen to me, it wasn't just some nickname that he's given to Jesus. Listen, John here is telling us something special about Jesus. He's telling us, listen, pay attention here. I'm telling you something relevant, something practical about the Son of God who has been born, who has come to us. And so this wasn't just some nickname. It was a revelation of who Jesus was and what Jesus came to do for you. So I hope you'll open up your heart to this title. I hope you'll behold the glory of the Lamb here this morning. And so with this in mind, I want us to look at two reasons why. Why Jesus is the only one who can be the Lamb of God. And then I want to conclude by sharing what difference this makes in our lives even today. So number one, why behold the glory of the Lamb? Because number one, only Jesus is the Lamb without sin. Only Jesus is the Lamb without sin. One of the purposes of John the Baptist's ministry is to tell us about Jesus. And to make sure that Jesus is seen as utterly amazing to us. Now let me just kind of stop here for a moment, give you a little side note. Because we're talking about two different Johns here. And I don't, I, I don't, I, there may be some confusion and I want to help clarify that a little bit. We're talking about John the Baptist, not John the Apostle. John the Apostle is the one who wrote the Gospel of John, in which our text is found this morning. John the Baptist is another man, a different John, that John the Apostle is now recording his life story, if you will. So you got John the the Apostle and John the Baptist. And we're talking about John the Baptist here, the one who sees Jesus and cries out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here's the point. John the Baptist is testifying about Jesus. He's telling us something about him. And he wants us to know that only Jesus is the Lamb of God. In fact, everything that John tells us about Jesus is pointing us to this one truth about him. First John tells us in verse 23 that Jesus is the Lord who's come from heaven to earth. In other words, Jesus is God. He's the creator of, of the world, the sustainer of the world, as we learned in the very first message back in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And then John tells us in verses 26 and 27 that Jesus is not just the Lord, but he is superior to anyone else. John says that Jesus is so superior to him that he's not even worthy to untie his sandals. 
Now, why does John tell us this information? Well, John is emphasizing for us what it takes for Jesus to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In other words, here's what John wants you to understand here this morning. No ordinary human being can be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Only Jesus is the Lord God. Only Jesus is the creator and sustainer of the world. And because of this, only Jesus can be the Lamb of God. So John the Baptist, in some ways, he's kind of warning us here this morning. And here's the warning. Don't think any mere man can be the Lamb of God. What Jesus had to do to take away the sin of the world required that he be more than a mere man. Listen, folks, he had to be the God-man. In other words, only Jesus was able to be the Lamb of God because he was fully God and fully man. As verse 1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Drop down to verse 14, and it tells us that the Word, that is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And so now we see the central reason why to take away the sin of the world. And only a sinless lamb can take away sin. When John the Apostle wrote his first letter, he put it like this, and this verse is coming up on the screen. Notice what it says. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, he says, You know that he appeared, that is, he was born. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Now, why does John the Apostle this time add this last phrase, and in him there was no sin? Well, because the lambs that were offered for sacrifice to take away sin in the Old Testament had to be what kind of lambs? Perfect lambs. You just couldn't go grab your, your runt lamb. No, no, no. You had to pick the best of the lambs that you had. It had to be a spotless lamb, a lamb without blemish, a lamb without defect. Just listen to what the Old Testament law demanded. In Leviticus chapter 4, verses 32 through 35, it says, If someone brings a lamb as their sin offering, they are to bring a female without defect. In other words, without blemish. There's nothing wrong with it. It's perfect. They are to lay their hand on its head and slaughter it for a sin offering at the place where the burnt offering is slaughtered. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar, a burnt offering, and pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the food offerings presented to the Lord. And in this way, the priest will make atonement for them for the sin they have committed and they will be forgiven. But every devout Jew knew that the blood of animals, and especially the blood of a lamb, could not really take away sin once and for all. This is why they had to offer another lamb as a sacrifice the next day, 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 and not just once a day, but in the morning and in the evening. Over and over. 
In fact, that whole sacrificial system, the point of it in the Old Testament was simply pointing them forward. It's pointing us forward to what would happen someday in the final sacrifice for all of mankind's sin. And John the Baptist is now coming to us and he's saying, Behold, it's happening now, that final sacrifice. God has sent his son into the world as the lamb to take away the sin of the world once and for all. There's no more need to sacrifice the lamb. When Peter described that disciple Peter, you know the one that's always sticking his foot in his mouth. When he described Jesus Christ and how he ransomed us, this is the same language he used in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19, he says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Peter, in the same uh, book, in chapter 2, verse 22, he adds these words, speaking of Jesus, he committed no sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. Now, how can this be? How can Jesus be without sin? I mean, every person who was born inherits Adam's sin. This is why Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, just as sin came into the world through one man, who was that one man in which sin came into the world through? Adam. Go back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And it says, and death through that sin came into the world, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. You say, well, what does this mean? It simply means that every person born in an ordinary way, listen, is born a sinner. And sinners cannot take away the sins of other people. It's an impossibility. So how then could Jesus take away our sin? After all, he was born, right? That's what we're celebrating in two days. This whole season is a celebration of whose birth? Christ's birth. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, the reason why Jesus could take away our sins is because Jesus was not born in, quote, the ordinary way. He was not born of two human beings. Jesus was born, as you know the Christmas story, through the virgin birth of Mary, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to how Luke describes Jesus' birth. In Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 35, he says, But the angel said to her, speaking to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. In other words, you have found grace with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, oh, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Jesus was holy and without sin. 
He was the sinless lamb. And the reason he was without sin is that he was and is God. So everything we have learned about Jesus in John chapter 1 up until this point is showing us one thing and one thing only. That Jesus is the lamb of God because only Jesus is without sin. And this brings us to the second reason, to behold Jesus as the Lamb of God. Notice this, number two, only Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away sin. Only Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away sin. First of all, he's the Lamb of God because he is without sin. And now, he takes away sin. This is the purpose of Jesus' mission. That's why Jesus came. Not merely to give us a moral example to follow, but Jesus came to deal with the very problem in all of our lives. The sin problem. Jesus came to solve the sin problem that has plagued this world ever since Adam and Eve disobeyed God and brought the world under God's curse. Ever since that fateful day in the Garden of Eden, every person has entered this world the same way we are born sinners and so we are sinners by birth as well we are sinners by choice that is our identity and as a result of this sin problem we are separated from god separated from him because of our sin and doomed to an eternal destruction but jesus oh but jesus the lamb has come to deal with our sin problem. So what does this mean exactly for us today? What does it mean when John says that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Well, it means at least two things that I want you to walk away with this morning. It means more than this, but I want you to understand it means at least two things. And both of them are relevant and practical, and life-changing for you today. First of all, it means Jesus would die like a sacrificial lamb. Jesus was called the Lamb of God because he would die. And folks, listen to me. And not just die, but die like a lamb dies. Now again, that means absolutely nothing for us because we don't have the context and the history and the background like the Jewish people did. But how did a lamb die in their cultural history? Sacrificially. It died sacrificially as an offering for sin. This is why God sent His Son to be born. That's why the Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. Otherwise, Jesus could not die for our sins as the Lamb of God. Up until now, the Jewish people had offered literally Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of lambs to God, just as God had prescribed in the Old Testament. But this, oh, this is a beautiful picture here. This is different. Don't miss this. For years, man had been bringing lambs to God as a sacrifice for their sin. But now, God had brought a lamb to mankind as a sacrifice for their sin. And the difference makes all the difference in the world in our eternal destiny. 
And as with every previous sacrificial lamb, this lamb, the lamb of God, would have to die. So, here we are, two days before Christmas. And Christmas is a celebration of the birth of our Savior. And while we celebrate His birth, folks, listen, we must never forget Jesus was born to die. Why? So He could take away the sins of the world. There's a picture coming up on the screen right now. It's a picture of a painting by Francisco Zabarin. It's called Agnos Day, which is Latin for Lamb of God. In fact, if you're ever in the San Diego area, you can actually go see this painting. It's hanging in the San Diego Museum of Art. And if you look closely, I don't know if it's showing up on the screen, a little bit here. If you look closely, you can see the lamp. He's, that brown cross beam is actually a picture of the cross. So the lamb is lying on the cross, and if you look closely at his legs, his legs are bound and tied. And then you'll notice above his head is a halo. Significant in the sense that there's deity, it's humanity, it's the Lamb of God. In fact, this painting done by this painter was done in reference to Isaiah 53. Let me read you just two verses out of that chapter, verses 6 and 7. It says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In other words, the sin of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Dying like a lamb was Jesus' purpose in coming. This is why after Jesus was born, an old devout Jewish man named Simeon, saw Jesus as he was worshiping in the temple. And he sees Jesus and he, he runs to him and Mary and Joseph and he grabs Jesus out of her arm and he holds him and he begins to bless Jesus there, saying that Jesus would be the cause of the rising and falling of many in Israel. Thus indicating that while some would follow Jesus, others would bitterly oppose him. But then Simeon added these words to Mary in Luke 2, verse 35. And he says to Mary, prophesying, if you will, to her, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. What's he talking about? Why would he say such a thing to a, a new mother? Well, this was an early reference to the death that Jesus would die. From the moment Jesus was born, he was marked out as the Lamb of God who would die on the cross for our sins. So John's statement here that Jesus is the Lamb of God made it clear that Jesus would die like a sacrificial lamb, which means God had provided a lamb for our sin problem when Jesus was born. And this also means, number two, look at it secondly, that Jesus would die for the sins of the world. In other words, the whole world would benefit from Jesus' death. Yes, Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. But folks, understand something here. Know this. His death would take away the sin of the world, not just the sin of Israel. 
This means Jesus was God's lamb for the world, not just a Jewish lamb for Israel. So Jesus died for the world, not just for Jewish people, but for Gentile people scattered all over the world. John put it like this in 1 John 2, 2. He says he, speaking of Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. This phrase, atoning sacrifice. Let me give you just a little definition. It just means that Jesus' death removes the wrath of God because it takes away sin. So Jesus, the Lamb of God, takes away sin and removes God's wrath. And not just for Jews, but for Gentiles scattered all over the world. This is why John the Apostle later on in the book of Revelation writes in chapter 5 verse 9, listen to this, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you, Jesus, were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Folks, that is huge. That's life changing for me and for you. Because without this, there would be no hope for people like us. But God's love, God's salvation extends not just to His chosen people, the people of Israel, but to all people all over the world. All peoples of all nations. Does this mean that when John says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that Every person in the world is saved, will be saved automatically? No. This is not. John the Baptist is not teaching universalism. And that word universalism, don't let this scare you, it just simply means, it says, it teaches that God's going to save everybody in the world in the end. We're all going to heaven because God loves us all. That's not what John is teaching here. You must consider all the other scriptures, and especially in the book of John, such as John chapter 3, verse 36, where it says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. In other words, the judgment of God remains on your life, and you are doomed to destruction. So what does this mean then? It means every person in the world, and gloriously, it means both Jew and Gentile, will be saved if they believe in Jesus and follow Him. If they believe, their sin will be taken away by the Lamb of God. If they believe, God's wrath has been removed from them by the Lamb. And notice that no race, no nationality, no ethnicity, no socioeconomic status is excluded. Glory! Amen? That's something to shout hallelujah about. There's hope for the whole world. As John reminds us in John 1.12, as many as receive Jesus and believe in His name, their sins are taken away. And the wrath of God is removed. And they are made the children of God. And they are given the gift of eternal life. So what difference does this title that John gives to Jesus make in our life? What difference does all this mean for me? What difference does it mean for you? Folks, it makes all the difference in the world. 
Just look at this coming up on the screen and in your notes. It means the only one. It means there's only one way to have your sins taken away. There's only one way to find peace with God. And that is you must believe in Jesus as your Lamb who takes away your sin and reconciles you to God. May I be lovingly honest with you? Here we are two days before Christmas. You need a lamb this morning. You need a lamb in your life. Why? Because everyone here today is a sinner deserving of God's wrath and judgment. And there's only one way to have your sins taken away and be reconciled to your Creator God. You must believe in Jesus as the Lamb. You must, in other words, trust Jesus as your Lamb who takes away your sin because He paid the price for your sin with His sacrificial death on the cross. John tells us in John chapter 8, verse 24, listen to these words. Unless you believe that I am He, that I'm the Lamb of God, you will die in your sins. And so that is why I come to you and I lovingly, honestly tell us all, Jesus is the Lamb you need. And Jesus is the Lamb God gave to you on Christmas Day. This is the greatest gift ever given, and it's the greatest gift you can ever receive. That famous verse in John chapter 3, the verse most of the world knows, and yet most of the world doesn't believe. John 3.16, what does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever, what? believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The only question that matters this morning is not what gift I'm getting or how many gifts I'm going to open on Christmas Day. The only question that matters is not what I'm going to eat on Christmas Day, what games I'm going to watch on Christmas Day, where I'm going on Christmas Day. None of that matters in the big picture of life. The only question that matters for you and me right now is Jesus, your Lamb, who takes away your sin. Have you received Him by believing in Him to take away your sin and reconciling you to God Almighty? Listen, today, you can open up your heart to Jesus, the Lamb of God. Today, you can pray to receive Jesus as your Lamb who takes away your sin. What a glorious Christmas present that would be to receive. In a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to respond to God. An opportunity where you can express your heart's desire to receive Jesus. In fact, there's even a prayer at the bottom of your notes, there are your sermon notes on the back side, that you can use as a guide. And if you do, I pray that those words would simply be the vehicle that God uses to create faith in your heart to receive Jesus as your Lamb who takes away your sin. I would encourage you when we have our response time, when the praise team sings, if God is pricking at your heart, if God is touching you, if he's speaking to you, and you know, listen, if I died tonight, I don't know where I'd spend eternity. I don't think it would be with God. 
Listen, you can know for sure. You can pray. You can cry out to him and simply tell him, I want to receive you. God, forgive me. Be my lamb. Before we close, let me leave you with one last thought. In the Old Testament, the prophets prophesied about Jesus as the coming Lamb of God. In the Gospel of John, we have John the Baptist identifying Jesus as the Lamb who has come. In the book of Revelation, John the Apostle tells us that there is coming a day when Jesus will be magnified as the Lamb who was slain. When we get to heaven, Folks, part of what we will do in heaven is we will sing and we will behold the Lamb and we will cry out, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. But here's the deal. Listen to me on this. If you want to be part of God's family in God's heaven who cries out and magnifies the Lamb of God, the one who is worthy because He was slain for our sins, then you must magnify Jesus as the Lamb of now here on earth. It's what the shepherds did in the Christmas story. These simple folks, shepherds of lambs, they sought out Jesus and they went to magnify him. They went to behold the lamb because they understood enough to know that's the one. That's the life changer in my life. The wise men, a few years later, searched the Old Testament scriptures. They knew the prophecies about the one, and what did they do? They journeyed to magnify the Lamb. There are others through the course of Jesus' life, his disciples, his followers. What were they doing? They are magnifying, they are beholding Jesus as the Lamb of God. And now they will be in heaven doing the same thing. The question is, will you join them? Will you be there? Are you magnifying him now? Listen, this Christmas, when you're opening up your presents, when you're sitting at the dinner table, and you're eating your food, wherever that may be, let me encourage you to stop and behold the lamb. He's not just any ordinary lamb. Jesus is the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And if he's your lamb, he takes away your sin and reconciles you to God Almighty. That's the best Christmas message in the whole world, is it not? Let's pray. And as we prepare for our response time, as the praise team comes, they're going to sing a chorus or two. And I know many of you here this morning have already received the Lamb of God. Let me encourage you just to, to praise Him, to thank Him, to cry out to Him and rejoice that He's taken away your sin and do so with a heart of gratitude. But perhaps you're here and you have yet to receive the Lamb. You have yet to have your sins taken away and forgiven and to receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Man, I would encourage you to maximize this opportunity this morning, right where you're seated, and to cry out to God.
Express your heart to him. If need be, use that prayer in the back of your notes as a guide. And just tell him that you want to be forgiven. You want your sins taken away. You want to receive Jesus as your lamb. He'll hear your heart. Would you pray to him? Would you receive him? As the praise team sings.